I did a show last night. People are like, do you shake hands? I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll give you a hug. I'll give you a, a wet willy. I don't care. And I mean, I talk about it on stage now, so it's fun. Thank you for joining the WWSD podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and we are sponsored by Collector's Maze. If you love comics and anything Phantom related, be sure to check them out at collectorsmaze.com for your virtual comic con experience. As always, I'm joined with Seamus and Kyle. And tonight we have a special guest, Paul Farvar. Paul is a lawyer and comedian from Chicago. He hosts two podcasts, the Make Us a Mixtape podcast and the Singles Only podcast. He's a very funny guy. We're excited to have him on tonight. Hey, Paul. How's hey. it going? Good. Thanks for uh, having me. I appreciate it. So, I didn't butcher your last name, right? No, you said it right. All right. First awesome. time, yeah. That's great. No, this is exciting. I'm happy to be in Florida. I, I, I Before we started, I, I'll let the people behind the behind the scenes. I thought you guys were in Chicago, where I'm from, too. So I was kind of be like all excited to do this outside in Florida. But like you guys like, yeah, it's like this all the time. So you guys don't feel shit. <laughs> Which, it's actually chilly today. It was, it's like it, it was in the 60s this morning. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> you, have no, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's a bit <laughs> I put my son in flannel. <laughs> yeah. It's been a lot cooler here this year, which is nice. But... Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what that means. Yeah, I, I, you're right. You're right. No no, uh, no cold vortexes down here. In Chicago, uh, yes. Well, I, I went back to Chicago for a couple. Uh, I was on the road, and then uh, I came. I had to go through Chicago, and it was a snowstorm. We got 12 inches of snow on Monday. I couldn't get out of my garage. And then I was like, I was going to shovel. And I'm like, wait a minute, why would I shovel to just do an errand when I could just wait a day? I'm going to be in Florida and then I'll just do the errand. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then when I left, it started snowing again. So uh, yesterday it was raining here and I was, and that's, and it got to like 66 in Sarasota. <laughs> so I'm, I think you guys will be fine. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you have fl- they have flannel here. I didn't even know you guys had flannel. <laughs> my uh, my wife's a Floridian. Uh, she's lived here her whole, whole life, and she puts a jacket on when it's like eighty five degrees. It was like this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that is ridiculous. People are, but you can tell people. I mean, I've been coming. My family's here, and uh, I've been coming here for a while. And it's fun to watch, especially in like a touristy area where like people. When it does get cold in Sarasota and Florida, I know it does get cold here in the winters. Um, but you can tell the people that are from out of town because they refuse. They're like, I brought shorts. I'm yep. going to wear shorts. Flip flops and shorts. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, dude, it's raining and it's 50 degrees. Like, it's <laughs> not going to happen today, buddy. But I get it. Yeah. Paul, you're, you're a comedian and uh, previously yeah. you're a lawyer, I believe, right? Yeah, that's true. So how did all that start out? Like, uh, how did you? Oh man. Uh, so actually even before I was a lawyer, I was a musician too. So I was in oh, band. Oh shit. That's I, awesome. Uh, I managed bands. I had a music company, uh, called Shushan Boy Productions where we, it was like a one-stop shop for bands where we basically could book them, promote them, uh, book shows and, uh, and then do entertainment. I was an entertainment lawyer as well, where we would, um, you know, shop the albums and stuff like that. And then I would also produce the stuff sometimes even playing with the bands and stuff because I could play a lot of instruments. Um, at the time, I was a part-time lawyer at a firm. And then uh, after I kind of hit a wall with music, I, uh, things changed in the music industry, obviously around 2004, 2005. Uh, a lot of things changed with the record companies were, even before that, were slowly disappearing and the old school way of music wasn't working. So I... I started, I was a partner at a law firm 2008. And then uh, 
then by chance, I just, I started taking improv classes at Second City with a friend of mine. And uh, that was just to like become a better lawyer or just to have fun, meet people. And then um, I got really into it. And then um, my friend was opening for Bob Saget one night at a theater, sold out theater. And then uh, he was so nervous to meet Bob. And uh, because I was a managed artist for years, as in managed musicians and, and booked them and was always backstage. I'm like, I'll, he goes, come with me as my, and act like my manager. And so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Well, I mean, it wasn't even acting. I was, I was kind of managing his, yeah. <laughs> his career yeah. at that point, which was nothing. And uh, I was like, well, these are the dis- comedy and, 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 uh, music have similar you know it's entertainment and so i was drunk uh because i went to the cubs home opener and um and i went backstage as i'm walking in bob is also bob saget's also walking in and him and i just walk in together and like we're just having a friendly conversation because i'm not starstruck i'm also like still drunk or buzzed and um we became like cordial and then I was backstage. My friend was like too intimidated to like talk to Bob. And then I was just sitting there shooting the shit with Bob Saget and uh, Mike Toomey, another Chicago legend. And then at one point Bob said, I told him a story and God, I wish, I wish I remember what the story was. I keep, I tell this story a lot. So people who are listening to this, who know me know they've heard the story. I don't know what the story was, but eventually Bob just said, Oh, are you doing that tonight? Is that a bit? And I was like, Oh no, I'm not. I don't. I don't do stand up. I'm just here with supporting. He's like, go go up and do a set. And uh, I was like, I've never done stand up in my life. I'm not going up to a sold out <laughs> show for the first time. And they were all kind of like egging me on to do it. And um, I uh, I didn't go up. But then the next day I did an open mic. And then within like a week I won like a comedy contest and uh took over hosting like a mic in chicago after i won this contest and uh and then yeah i just kind of like spiraled from there like comedy was never on my radar when i was a younger person and then uh yeah it just took over my life and it's all bob saget's fault he told me i was funny (laughs) that's awesome I think he thought i was my friend because if you're racist we look the same but uh No, I'm just kidding. But I think he just thought I was a comedian because, I mean, now, you know, as, you know, as comedians, uh, sometimes we're backstage and people are like looking for stage time. So maybe that's why he said that to me. But um, yeah. at the time, I took it as, wow, I'm funny. I'm going to give it a shot. And it could be funny. Like, I, you know, he knows the story I've heard. He, I've told the story a bunch. And uh, it'd be funny if he like was like, oh, I was just kidding. You weren't funny at all. <laughs> Yeah, like, I had to bet my buddy. Like, I wanted to see this guy go on stage and bomb. Yeah, like, and Mike Toomey, who is now a friend of mine, he's a comedian from Chicago. I told him that story, and he kind of remembers it, and like, but he also doesn't. So, like, it's like, it's funny how, you know, perception, two, three people are in a room. Bob Saget probably doesn't remember it. Mike doesn't remember it. My friend was kind of in the room. He, he remembers it a little bit. Um, and I, you know, that changed my life. Yeah. So for better or for worse, right? I mean, I could have been <laughs> like a lawyer driving a Porsche and um, <laughs> doing a lot of blow, probably like dead by now, but at least I would have been happy, you know? Yeah. Rich. 
wouldn't, wouldn't be in Sarasota right now. <laughs> yeah, would it be? Be in Boca Raton great. right now. <laughs> I'd be in Boca Raton, like probably wearing a red hat and being like, maybe I'd be at the Capitol. I don't know. I don't know what would happen, but pinkies up. <laughs> yeah, right. And now I'm 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 doing shows at comedy clubs, sometimes getting paid in drink tickets. So, <laughs> are you still practicing as, as a lawyer? Uh, no, I'm inactive. Um, I do get cases in. And so uh, what I do is I refer them. I have a referral base where I refer them to friends. So like, I'm still a lot of people's like go to when they have legal questions, just because I practice law for so long. So I always want to take care of people and a lot of comedians and comedy adjacent people, especially during the pandemic, I, I was trying to help them find the right lawyers. That's cool. So, Which kind of law you practice said it was litigation for entertainers. I did entertainment law, but I, that was a small portion of it. I also did insurance defense. I did plaintiffs cases, a lot of personal injury adjacent stuff, uh, healthcare law, municipalities laws. I, I, I was in court. I was literally um, in federal and state court trying cases. Uh, I tried more cases than most people do in a lifetime. So, Did any of the skills that you learned as a lawyer like lend, lend themselves to comedy? Um, I mean, obviously public speaking, uh, and listening, I think, I think, um, what it it works better the other way. Cause when I started comedy, I became a better lawyer because you, uh, what people don't realize about stand-up comedy is a lot of it is listening and reacting. Uh, when you become a better comedian or even a better lawyer, it's more about listening. If you're a good listener, you're going to succeed. Uh, and as a lawyer, lawyers tend to just want to ramble on and on. And I was good at uh, watching the judge um, and just knowing when to shut up. It's like that comedic timing. Yeah, it's almost like when I became a com- comedian, I remember a story where I was not prepared. And, and let's be honest, a lot of times as lawyers, when I was younger, I would like read all the stacks of documents and be ready. And I was so eager to talk and say stuff. And I would do it even like sometimes where the judge is like, you don't, I'm already voting for you. I'm already, don't even talk. As you get older and, and through comedy, I actually learned it's better to just watch the judge and just react. If she's rolling her eyes while the other guy's talking or, or the other lawyer is talking, just shut the fuck up and don't say anything. Sorry, are we allowed to swear? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I remember a situation where a lawyer was just talking and I just watched the judge and I was like, I'm not really sure what, cases what he's talking about so i didn't read it and i just looked at the judge and i just went like i mean like literally one like this and she's like i agree and i did <laughs> and i won the i won the motion so yeah. stuff like that you don't you don't know when you're younger and idiot and an idiot lawyer or even as a comedian too sometimes you know i learned that you know it's better to just read the room and uh that's something you you gain as a comedian and and you know, hey, it helps you with everything. Um, comedy, stand-up comedy has changed my life. I joke about it for better or for worse, but like there's a lot of cool things that have happened as a result of it. So quick question. Like when you went to law school, was that like something you wanted to do actively or was like your parents forcing you? That's a good question. I when I was younger, I always wanted to be a lawyer. I was gonna go okay. into politics um when I was a lot younger. And uh even in college, I was uh I thought I was going to be like a U.S. senator and all this stuff. Um, 
I discovered music in college and became a musician. And I was like, well, I'll get a law degree. I, and I still love the law. I still practice. I mean, I don't practice. I still like follow the law. And I, um, I, I have a love for fairness and justice, if that makes sense. Um, so it was a little of both, you know, it was a little that I wanted to do it, but I also, in our family, you're either become in the middle East community, you're either uh, a doctor, an engineer or a lawyer. And everything else is like, whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of like I had to, I had one I had one choice, and I hated blood, so I couldn't be a doctor. <laughs> now, were your parents disappointed though? Like when you stopped uh, practicing law and went to comedy? I'm sure they had like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> They're in denial. They still think I yeah. practice law. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So what's what's with this comedy hobby, right? I think they think it's like, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of hard for them to understand because they're older and they're uh, immigrants, legal, relaxed Florida. Um, <laughs> they're just not, they don't know what entertainment is. There's not a lot of Middle Eastern entertainers, you know. Uh, there's Maz Jirbani, who's a Persian comedian, Iranian comedian, and then that's it. And, uh, and maybe Max Amini. There's a couple of people, but they don't really have... We don't have a lot of people in the entertainment industry right now, um, all, other than playing like, you know, Seven Eleven clerks and uh, yeah. terrorist number three. You know. All right, Kyle, you, you have some questions. You want to start shooting some out? Yeah, uh, Paul, we've seen you do um, a lot of really great highlights. Like we loved them, um, but a lot of people they're afraid to get on stage for fear of failing. Uh, can you tell us about maybe a time that you bombed and how you recovered from that sort of thing? Oh man. Um, Let's see. I've bombed. Uh, well, first of all, recovering from as you get older uh, or as you do more comedy, you start like embracing the bombs. When you first start, obviously bombs suck. But once you bomb and you you're done with it, you're not afraid of it anymore. So like a lot of people who are afraid of doing comedy or doing stand up, um, the fear of bombing goes away once you've done it and you've come to the other side um as it pertains to bombing later in life like how i recover is either uh try to get up as soon as possible and do another show where i know um, i could build momentum and confidence whether it's doing stuff that i know will win will be funny because i you know at this point in my life i'm pretty sure i am funny um so i know there's certain ways to win over a crowd um or the other option is to just eat. Like I'll eat a lot of burritos and and then I feel better. Um, yeah, we we can uh, relate. Yeah, that's my go-to. I, I like to eat too. Burritos <laughs> or like donuts. But yeah, I mean, the, the fear you get over. I think I think when you start stand up, um, bombing is part of the learning process, and and it is a process. Like there's no shortcuts with stand up. It's kind of like one of the. That's kind of going back to you asked me about law and stuff. It's, there's like this unique skill of, of stand-up where you get your results like right away. You know, if you're funny, you you get a laugh at the show. You know, you know you're funny. If you on the flip side, if you bomb, like you know you aren't funny or you that joke wasn't funny. And there's no like, you know, there's no one can deny that. Like if you've had a great show. Like nobody can deny that you just crushed the show because there was immediate laughter. Um, so like it's one of the only careers where 
it's not very, there's objective results that show that you succeeded at what you're supposed to do. You know, as a lawyer, you can win cases, you can lose cases. As a doctor, you know, there's still like a science to it. You know, you, um, you have to wait for the results to see if the, the, the medicine helped or if it was just time. But with comedy, you get a, you know right away if they're laughing or they're not laughing, you know you did a good job or you didn't do a good job. So there is that fairness and uh, fundam- fundamental like justice. You know, when someone, and it works the other side too, where you see a show where you're like, why is that guy headlining? And then you go to the show and he's murdering the crowd. It's like, well, that's why the club booked him. Or on the flip side where, you know, sometimes you have people that are doing shows before they're ready. And there's like that, there's that instant karma or instant justice that the, if you try to skip over steps as a comedian, you're going to bomb. And, and I'm guilty of that too. I got a lot of opportunities before I was ready. And, and you, when you bomb, you have the opportunity to either, you know, go back, do the work and come back and prove yourself or like quit. You know, yeah. Do, so. do you think it would be a good strategy to to kind of almost go out to purposely bomb like the first time out, just get it over with, kind of thing? Well, just getting up is first of all the first time you go up. If you're going to an open mic, I assume most of the places are going to be they're going to treat you. If you go to a good mic, they're going to treat you well, and uh, you're not going to bomb the first time. You're going to have you're going to think you crushed. Uh, because you're going to hear a laugh the first time you hear a laugh from something you say. Even if you do four minutes and you only get one laugh, you're going to be like, wow, that went well. It's the second time. You don't need to purposely bomb. The second time you go up, you're going to bomb no matter what. It's just, it's just the way that it works. Uh, no one gives a shit the second time you go up. The first time, they're like, oh, yeah, all right. That was okay. They'll give you, they're nice to you. But the second time... <laughs> Is it um is it hard for you to watch other people bomb or is it is it something like you look you you kind of smile and like oh somebody's getting in in it getting getting their hands dirty, popping that cherry. <laughs> uh, it depends on the situation. If it's somebody you don't know, you kind of it's uncomfortable. But when friends are bombing, we love watching our friends. Bomb. <laughs> and you can go to a show. It's not because it's not because like it's because they you it makes it's like it's like hard to explain like. I like, I can tell when my friends are watching and they're watching it, if it's a tough room or, cause they know, I know my friends are funny, but if they're struggling with a crowd that doesn't get them or it's not their crowd, <laughs> it's so fun to watch your friends. And then it becomes fun for them because they're like, okay. And then, and sometimes you let the crowd in, you're like, Hey, so you can see Paul's here now. Cause he's seeing that I'm having a bad time and I'm struggling and comments <laughs> like to watch. It's just one of those things. But if it's somebody you don't know, and it's it's like it's not no i hate it i hate watching it it's uncomfortable and you root for them to do well you obviously yeah. want them to to come on the other side but if you don't know someone or they're bombing because they're not ready it's uncomfortable and you're you're just like you want to you want to see it end <laughs> so you you mentioned um you mentioned you have like a real strong sense of justice do you, uh, do you find that like like hecklers really really piss you off even more than normal comics or the normal comics? What do you mean? Oh, I'm I'm sorry, not 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 no, like not normal, like just in like because of your sense of justice, are you are you like affected more than? Yeah, than I if if somebody's mean to if if there's a heckler that's giving someone a hard time for my opener or something, I will be sure to like 
Light them up. If it's a friend, yeah, I will just be like, I got this. And then that's <laughs> any comedian will do that. They'll look out for their friends and they'll, or just hecklers in general. If they're idiots, they're going to get it. But yeah, I mean, if a heckler's sometimes, I, I'm never mean to a heckler unless like they deserve, like if someone talks shit or, or, or yells, or sometimes people don't know that they're not supposed to. Okay. Um, my general rule is uh, if a heckler um, talks during the show and it doesn't, if, Sometimes, like people are talking, no one else. It doesn't ruin the whole show. Like comedians are sensitive to it because we hear it because they're facing you. So the only time I'll go after them is if I see anyone else from the show looking at that person. Then, my if you want to go to justice, it's like these people paid for a show to see me or to see the show, and now you're ruining it. And that's when I'll be, I'll say, hey, I'll give them a pass. But if they keep talking or yelling shit out then it's over then it's free game and i'll either attack them or make them feel uncomfortable or um have them removed <laughs> <laughs> why do you think people actually end up heckling like it doesn't make any sense to like you know if i go to like sea world or something like that i don't like hey look fucking shamu over here yeah you know like why do they feel the need uh, or why do you think they feel the need to do it depends like on the heckle so there's different types of heckle number one i always give people the benefit of the doubt Sometimes they don't know better. It's their first time at a show or they just think that they're helping the show. So sometimes they don't know and you have to explain it to them. Either the club will be like, hey, they'll do their job and they'll tell them to stop talking or whatever. Um, sometimes uh, they think they're, sometimes it's like a nice heckle. Like I had a show where people were yelling, they're like, that's funny. Like they're yelling it and they don't realize that they're disrupting the show. So like them... Those are the good heckles and they don't mean it. I always give them the benefit of the doubt. It's the idiots that are like continuously like stepping on, on, on tags or punchlines. And you're like, they don't know better. I, I think that's the case. There is a small amount of people, however, who think that they're funny. Those are the, the asshole. assholes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be honest with you, that's not as common as people think. I think the hecklers, the most common hecklers are the people that don't know better or drunks or like, you know, parties like that's their first comedy show or that's their first thing um they don't go to comedy shows so they don't know so i always try to think it's one of those options i think it's a smaller percentage of people who are like intentionally coming to a show to be a heckler i think that's a very small number but i mean that's just my opinion i i think a lot of people don't realize that they're not supposed to heckle or they don't they just don't know better i was uh like covid like affected you of like comedy i know that that has to be affecting quite a bit definitely affected me significantly i had different stuff different schedule for 2020 uh uh i definitely had a lot of opportunities i was i was having the best year uh with opportunities i had a writing job uh that was postponed i had a tv show that was postponed and uh my festival south by southwest which uh was postponed uh, shows were canceled, obviously. So yeah, I mean, it definitely affected the schedule. I came to Florida way more often than I anticipated. <laughs> but now things are opening up. The shows themselves were definitely, you can tell when people have come out for the first time. And that's another, going back to your heckling question, people didn't, don't know how to act anymore because some of these people haven't been out in a year, especially I was in Las Vegas two weeks ago and people were... There, you know, you have socially distanced shows, so the shows are, the laps aren't as big. 
some places require masks during the show, which you can't even hear the laugh sometimes. Um, and people are, are weary, you know, they're still uncomfortable. Some people are nervous about getting COVID or the whole situation. So it's harder. It's a lot, comedy is a lot different in COVID times um, on so many levels. But uh, the good news is things are opening up again. And, uh, and uh, we're going to get to some sort of normalcy in the next month in other places. I know in Florida, they're like, what's COVID? But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely been a huge impact. Comedy, stand-up comedy is probably one of the things most affected by COVID um, because it's one of those things going back to what we talked about earlier, where you need, we need crowds. We need people crammed in, in small rooms with low ceilings and no air, you know? Um, you, with music, and I'm a musician too, you could still play music and uh, you could record it and put it on in the world. But when you do, when you record a stand-up set or you do Zoom shows and stuff, it's different because we respond to the laughs. Musicians don't need people laughing or they don't need to get an applause at the end of their show. They're still performing their art, you know? Yeah. So it's one of those unique things where I can't think of another example of a uh, industry that, I mean, obviously there's industries that were affected significantly more in terms of revenue and whatever, but, um, it's one of those things where we need crowds. We can't function the same way without a crowd. Um, everything else you can record and, and, and make it good. But with comedy, you do that without an audience, even when you record a special and there's no audience and there's no one laughing, it's, it's hard. It messes up your timing. And for me, laughs are how I decide what joke to do next. Like, I'm like, okay, if they like that, they might, you know, so it's really hard. It's definitely something that's gonna, it's gonna slow down the process. But once, once it's over, I think comedy is going to see the biggest boom it's ever seen too. Cause people are just going to be ready to laugh. Uh, yeah. I bet. What's your uh, writing process like for, for writing jokes? My writing process is uh, what I do is I put an outline uh, before COVID. What I would do is I'd make an outline of like the premise and then I go on stage and work it out, record it, and then come back and re and actually write it. So I write on stage with some ideas of a premise. Um, during COVID times, it's been a little harder. So I try to write a little more in the actual writing process and then go on stage and do it and then come back and retweet it or, or tweak it, not tweet it. And uh, that's kind of how I work. Um, also during COVID, a lot of things we've been putting stuff online in terms of like tweets and Facebook mm -hmm. to see if a joke has legs. And then if it gets a lot of likes, you use that as a basis to make into a joke. But my preferred way is to come up with an idea and I'm a storyteller too. So like if something happens to me, I write it down. I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be an idea. I think I can write. And then what I would do is go on stage at an open mic or somewhere where I have a large chunk of time where no one knows who I am preferably and uh, work it out on stage. Cause I think under pressure of trying to get a laugh, you will find the funny. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I am. But um, that's my process. A lot of people are write it all out up front, but recording that my sets and listening to them are a big part of my writing. How has becoming a comedian changed the way that you like look at the world like every day in everyday life? 
Uh, well, I've, I definitely am uh, living, trying to live more in the moment and, and more COVID and comedy have both helped me kind of just be like, you know, we're only here for a small period of time when I have fun, but um, comedy affected me otherwise. Um, I don't know. I think it's, that's a good question. I, I think uh, I'm definitely happier most of the time than being a lawyer. I think it's uh, when I, when I first quit law, I was able to write a lot and my brain was like constantly in motion, writing new bits and just thinking of funny things. I mean, like as a comedian though, like, do you see certain things like, Oh, this is gonna be funny as a joke later. Like, do you yeah. like, do that kind of stuff? Yeah. All the time. I'll, uh, there's always a, a rush to try to make something, uh, creative or or even now with COVID I'm doing a lot more sketches and other projects that I'm doing where I'm like I just want to put content out there that's creative and funny or interesting um, so yeah like those are the kind of things that I, I, it definitely is a priority to me whereas before I, I had different priorities I think was trying yeah. to get rich and get a Porsche so. <laughs> do you think it's a little more difficult now like people seem to be a lot more sensitive than they than they have been in uh, like the recent decade. Um, do you think it's harder to write jokes now? Like so with cancel culture and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I think that that's uh, I, there's definitely some something to that, but I also think that you should know your audience. I think definitely there's a lot of cancel. There's a lot of sensitivity and stuff, but I think there's some of it's was necessary. Like, I remember when I started, there would be jokes that are just like, you know, you're like, that's not funny. And yeah. I did a show recently where someone's trying to be, make a funny transgender joke, which, I mean, if you can come up with something that's a sensitive, I mean, I do stuff that's like edgier now, more now than I did earlier um, in my career. And of course people, some people are going to be offended, but um, if it's funny, if it got a laugh, I think that, it's, you're allowed to do it. I think cancel culture is definitely out there, but um, it's definitely affected um, me in terms of some of the stuff that I talk about. Um, for people to say that it's made it comedies like worse because of it, I think that's not fair. It's definitely made comedians have to write more, write better. Uh, I think lazy comedy. I, I mean, I know comics I've done shows with that haven't changed their jokes in 10 years. And it's like, you have to adjust. You can't have a punchline that ends with, you know, the N word or whatever. Although I, I do have one like that, but um, <laughs> it's because it's a complicated yeah. story. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but it's got to be, you got to write a, a well-written joke. And uh, I know, I, I mean, I kind of go, I struggle with this back and forth with that, but I, I've, I've seen comedians get canceled or get, uh, blasted for a joke and then you're like you have to go back and listen to what they said and it you know there's a lot of some of my favorite comedians like jeff asmus is a chicago comic one of my favorite guys he he he's very like shocking but he's such a good writer that people that are offended are you're like listen to what he said like it's funny and the message isn't like right wing or left wing it's just finding the funny and what we're all bitching about on the other side. Like if someone just writes a, like I said, like I, I, I saw a guy do a transgender joke that the, the 
punchline was that he liked boobs so he could never cut off his boobs or something like that. I was like, what's the, what's the joke? Like, that's just like, it was like, I was like, it's not even a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, it doesn't even make, it doesn't even make sense. But like, I do like when comics talk about stuff that are like touch, like I'm not, I'm not a lot. I, the comics that I like to watch are like nothing like my comedy. Right. Cause I'm, I, I tell stories. I'm like, generally pg-13 although lately i've been a little more um edgier than normal but uh but those guys who do that stuff are if they're funny and they write well and they're smart i think that i think that's the funniest stuff because that's how we evolve as society do you have any like jokes yet like sideline uh, or stuff that you are doing just be like ah i can't do this one anymore absolutely yeah. and for for good you know like i had to reevaluate stuff that i wrote that seemed like misogynistic i i definitely have to change a couple of things now but it doesn't mean that because i'm not you know i'm not an idiot i can change a wording here and two and make it still work um there are certain things like like i have a joke um that i don't do anymore by choice i know it's going to get a laugh or or it's going to make people uncomfortable but my mom's name is negar n-e-g-a-r it's a very common iranian name and I had a joke about it. And it was a true story about losing my mom in, an air, in, a, in a grocery store when I was a kid and yelling her name. But after all the, the race stuff that happened this summer, you know, it was definitely a sensitive issue. So I couldn't do that joke anymore. Um, I mean, I guess I could have, but I didn't want to because um, it wasn't right. It wasn't the right time to do it. Um, unless I'm doing it in a crowd where it's all black crowd because like or mostly black crowd because they think it's funny and they they understand that it's a joke about perception of race mm -hmm. but in the old days i would do that joke for like a predominantly white crowd and they'd be cracking up i'm like you're laughing for the wrong reason like yeah. i don't like it and so i would i made the decision not to tell that joke but you know i i'll do it every once in a while like last night i did part of it and uh they got really uncomfortable. And I was like, the only people that were laughing were the African-Americans in the room. <laughs> and then I had to like point it out, but then I was like, you know what? This is stupid. It's not worth it for me. But um, definitely, definitely have had to adjust stuff and, and evolve with uh, the changing times. And I think that's a good thing. I think that, you know, you look back on some of the jokes that in the eighties and it's like 90% of the shit that Eddie Murphy talked about in Delirious would not work now. Richard Pryor, same thing. Like they would say the F bomb 80 times. And you're like, you can't, you can't do that joke now. Yeah. Yeah. I was like watching yeah. uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And I'm like, Jesus, like it's so, <laughs> so misogynistic. I'm like, Oh my God. Never it's very cringy. <laughs> you watch some of those roasts of like Richard Pryor and all that stuff. I mean, every joke is about being gay and it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny in a sense as I'm a Gen Xer. So like we would say, we would say, like, that's gay. We would just say it all yeah, the time. Yeah, us, us too, yeah. And I still, and I still say that on stage for one, <laughs> one of my jokes, I have a joke where, and you could tell people get uncomfortable when I say that's gay. But if you listen to the joke, it's, it's self-deprecating. And I, and I have, you know, I, I, I remember when I first saw the joke and people were like, oh, you can't say that. I was like, I talked to all my gay friends. I'm like, is this bad? And they're like, what part i'm like i don't know i just someone said that and the, and um 
sometimes people get sensitive when they just hear the word and they're triggered and you're like, listen to the fucking joke. Like, I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying that's gay. Not, not like in the sense from the eighties and nineties, but you know, there are certain things that are gay. Um, and, uh, it's not like back then where they would say it, they would like make jokes about each of them being gay when, you know, that was something that was looked down upon. Yeah. Whereas now I think it's a good thing. I think it's, if I could be gay, I'd be gay in a second. Like the, the, Seamus says uh, we can make that happen if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just... I wish I could be. I mean, I, I, I think it seems like it's better now. I mean, thankfully it's better now to be yay than it was when I was younger. I mean, shit. Yeah. Uh, I think back on some of my friends who were gay and they had it so bad. And we talk about it on my podcast singles only where I've had people who are gay in their thirties or late thirties, early forties. And it was a different time. Whereas now my friends, we had, uh, um, uh, Miss Brown on last week, Mike, uh, and, uh, Matt Brown is a comedian who's 26 and he's gay. He's done the podcast twice. And it's like, he never experienced the, the shit that those, those, the gay community faced in the fort when they're, you know, in the eighties, like he's had a much better, it's been much easier for him than, than it was for people in our, in our, in my demographic, which is good. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That was, a, that was a cool cast. I, I listened to that one. The most yeah, recent. I listened to that as well today as well. Yeah. He's fun. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, he's, he's, on the podcast. he's one of my great friends. And I, and like, it's it's so funny. I think the first time we had it on, it was funny. And there's another comedian. Um, God, I had COVID and now my brain is like fried. That, that's a true side effect of COVID, by the way. Um, there was another comedian who was older. And uh, he talked about being gay. And he goes out with guys who are like in their 20s. And they've never experienced that you know, that, uh, prejudice, prejudice of, of, of what we, what they had, my generation had to deal with. Yeah. It was so, it was so homophobic when we were growing up. So bad. Yeah. I mean, I remember in my fraternity, I was in a fraternity and there was like two guys who were closeted gay guys. And they're like, we were so mean to them. I mean, I wasn't personally, but like they never would feel comfortable coming out. And it's like, wow, like that sucked. And that shit, that's not fair. So going back to justice, it's, but now it's like, I love seeing like guys like Matt Brown who are like, they've never, I'm like, wow, like you, you, you get to live your life. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's awesome. awesome. Whereas guys like us who uh, are straight and uh, miserable. <laughs> had to turn can't, the drugs to be happy. Yeah, it, it's actually <laughs> me and Seamus go to gay bars and uh, like yeah, just just to get some validation. No, oh, yeah? no problems getting drinks. Like it's amazing. <laughs> I like hanging out with Seamus because like I'm like, look what I got here. Like everyone thinks I scored the hottest bear in the room. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I I uh, yeah, like uh, it's funny. Like I, I remember when I was younger, if if, I, if somebody who was gay had hit on me, I'd get, I'd be upset. But now I'm like, nice. I'm like, Oh, Hey, like I still got it, you know? Like, and it's, and it's, I mean, it doesn't happen now, but like, cause I was like, I was like, I, I think that, I think the gay community has gaydar and they can tell that I'm not, but I wish they, I was like, Oh, I miss it. When I like dressed nicer, they probably, they thought I was gay, but now they're like, Oh, this old man. You take one look at your shoes and they're like, no, Mm-mm. No, I have good <laughs> shoes. That's not fair. 
I love my shoes. <laughs> I always, I like, there's a, there's a couple of gay regulars at the laugh factory and I always like go to them. I'm like, is this, is this okay what I'm wearing? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, the gay community and women know how to dress better than men. Typically. Not yeah. always. <laughs> Those are the good times. So you mentioned your podcast uh, a few times already. Um, like what, what made you want to get into podcasting? Was it just, was it due to COVID? Because it looks like your podcast has been out for longer than that. No, I was against starting a podcast. Um, I started singles only as a way to promote my show singles only at the laugh factory. It was a weekly show where we would have comedians who were single and we would talk about, we'd interact with crowds about their dating life. Now it's called drink day laugh. We made it open to everybody. But the reason I started it was Jamie Masada of laugh factory. Who's my mentor. Um, told me that podcasting was the way to go. And I was, I never listened to a podcast before at the time. It was almost five years ago. And, uh, and I was like, fine, it's a good way to promote. I was on the Laugh Factory channel. People were listening because there was, they needed content back then. If you can believe it, there wasn't that many podcasts back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it kind of just took the show no longer exists. The singles only became Drink Day Laugh. And then, people were listening to it. And, and then I, I learned that I really love interviewing people. I love talking to people. And then it kind of took off from there. And um, now we're almost on 250 episodes. It's a weekly up. We interview people who are single. I don't, yeah, I mean, I love it. I love hearing people's journeys about being single. Um, everyone has a different one. And uh, yeah, and then I have the other one, Make Us a Mixtape, too, which uh, that just started as just a fun way for Marty DeRosa and I to talk about music because we'd always talk about music at shows. And mm-hmm. and uh, I, had a, I had a different podcast, Music, when I was on WGN Radio, and uh, it was kind of like evolved into all that. So, yeah, podcasting, and now I love podcasts. I used to remember driving. I love driving, and I would listen to music. And I would hate anything else to do. But now, like, I just look forward to one of the things I missed the most about COVID was road, road shows where I would listen to all my podcasts. And now, like, I get to drive to shows here in Florida and listen to, like, my favorite podcast. So yeah, that's, that's cool. really cool. Did I answer your question? I, I don't know. If yeah, I yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I got into podcasts. I was short answer. I was against them. Yeah. I thought they were stupid, and then now I love them. I'm embracing. I think they're the, the future. And uh, people say there's too many of them. I say there's not enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, we thought the same thing. Uh, Kyle, Seamus, you guys have any more questions for him? Uh, I think I. I think it's good. I appreciate you coming on. It's enjoyed talking to you. Oh yeah, you guys are awesome. Simple. Thanks for having me. Um, I have questions about the Magic the Gathering stuff that you have in the background there, Josh. <laughs> I'm actually surprised you know what that is. Uh, are you able to read it, or do you actually know? What I'm it able is? to read it. I have really good eyes, okay. but I know what it is. I mean, I know <laughs> what it is. I don't know enough about it. I don't okay. want to know about it. I just. <laughs> oh okay. I mean, you only have like a few minutes. I mean, I can talk your ear off. I mean, isn't that like the modern Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, uh, it's a card game. So like, right. Dungeons and Dragons would be like a tabletop RPG where Magic the Gathering is a competitive card game, usually between two people. So it's like me versus you. Or, or uh, the, Originally, it was like pitches like two wizards like battling each other with spells. It's kind of like moved away from that concept, but it's just a, a, a competitive card game. Very similar to poker. 
use a lot of the same concept uh, as poker. It's like bluffing I don't and know about reading that. your opponent. <laughs> well, it's it's the not not the actual game of poker, but the playing of poker, like how to right. read your opponent, how to bluff, like how to figure out what get in their head, how to figure out what they're doing. So we have like that face to face interaction with them. Why wouldn't you just play poker? because oh, no, uh, we're no magic spells. <laughs> no, uh, well. So a lot of the best magic players, like the pro players, are usually pro poker players as well. So okay. it's just love of the game. Like we we just like nerdy shit and casting goblins and, and stuff. There's like a that. lot more strategy with <laughs> Magic the Gathering as well. Like the different cards come out every, every couple of years and then they get moved to different series. So the whole the whole meta of the game is gonna change. Where poker is pretty much the same. But you guys are in Florida, like that you can go outside and do things. Like why would you <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> like I think I think that like Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that, it's like okay. I live in Chicago. We can only go outside for three months, but like you guys can like go outside and like do fun stuff. Why would you do that? So I, I did a lot of traveling with Magic. Uh, I, I, okay. I traveled uh, like multiple states. I've, I've flown all over the United States playing competitively. It, it's really the competitive, the competitive aspect of it. I, I do like that competition. I love and competition like, too. Yeah. Yeah. So like you get that that feel where you get that itch where you want to be better than someone or you want to like be the best or you want to win. And so that's, that's what I like about it compared to like other things. Like I'm, I have asthma and like, I'm not that great at sports. So okay. like, I, obviously I can't really play basketball well uh, as well, like stuff like that. So it's like magic was my outlet of being able to like compete. Fair I mean, enough. it's so different than video games. Like people like video games now are like kind of replacing sports for a lot of people with, like the e-gaming. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I like physical cards still. That makes sense. Yeah. Also it's got collectible as well. Like you can see I have a bunch of like pops and shit. I'm just a big collectible nerd. Oh, so yeah, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I played sports. I didn't have asthma, so <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely not recommend it. If I if I had a chance to go back, I would definitely not have asthma. <laughs> you, know, you can't get COVID. That would be bad for you. Yeah, uh, I can't breathe anyway, so I probably couldn't get it realistically. <laughs> oh, okay. Just be careful. I had it in the. Yeah, the only downside is memory loss. I I can't remember. Names when, well. when did you get it? Like how long ago? Uh, December. I got it here in Florida, okay. of course. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, within two days. Um, I uh, I had a mild case and uh, uh, I don't know where I got it. It's a multiple. I didn't get it at a show. I don't think I did because the other comedians didn't have it um, or didn't get it. Uh, but yeah, I, I got it. It was mild and I'm fine because um, like I said, I don't have asthma, so. I have a, are you like overly precautious like it shows i was like i was yeah. not anymore now i don't give a shit now i haven't washed my hands i don't care yeah you got you got a few months buffer like on, on fuck yeah it. <laughs> i've got two months of like invincibility like i beat yeah. the deadliest virus in three days so yeah i yeah. i before i would like wipe shit down i don't know certain comedians who haven't had it yet that i'm friends with they still have to like i just watch them suffering i'm like oh i remember those days where you had to like wipe everything down, stay outside and, and stuff. I did all that stuff before I had it. But once that now I have it, it's like that I had it. I'm just like, it's just so much freeing. I could take shows. I could fly a lot easier too. So before I was like fearful of um, flying and like, like United and American, they filled the middle seats. Yeah. Southwest mm -hmm. didn't. But then now, now that I had like, I'm like, yeah, bring full. They'll like message you like, just so you know, this uh flight is gonna be full i'm like it's not full enough we need more people <laughs> like i'm like i don't give a shit but it, it was it's definitely a scary thing and i'm glad i already had it so is it even like uh like people like interacting with comedians like talking to you like and like seeing you after a show and talking yeah. to you. So i'm sure with covid you're just like 
back the fuck away, dude. Like six <laughs> well, feet. Right. And, and I, and I talk about on stage where, um, when I first was doing tours in like Oklahoma and places like that in the summer, like people would come try to shake your hand and we're like, we're not allowed to. And then we, I would make a deal with the other comedians. I'm like, if we all don't do it, then they're not going to get pissed off. They were getting mad that we weren't shaking hands. And you're like, listen, mm -hmm. dude, like we want this comedy thing to keep going. We don't want there to be a breakout. Cause there was a couple incidents where I think Brandon Schwab and, and, Ryan Kelly got COVID in Texas and they gave it to a lot of their fans because they're you see them taking pictures, doing meet <laughs> meet and greets, and you're mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, like that's just it just gives us all a black eye. So yeah, I was definitely cautious before, but and people get mad, but now it's like I did a show last night, people are like, Do you shake hands? I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll give you a hug. <laughs> I already had COVID, I'll whatever. Give, I'll give you a well willy. I don't care. And I mean I talk about it on stage now, so it's fun. Now from like the the show standpoint, uh, you said you come to Florida. Is like Florida one of the most open states? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> that, yeah. 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 People don't give a fuck down here. It's yeah. Florida and Texas. Uh, I mean, the other places too, like Oklahoma, Arkansas, I did all those, uh, but there just weren't as many comedy clubs. And here you guys have so many amazing clubs. I mean, I've been coming to McCurdy's for years. That's my home club here, but they're shut down. Uh, after I did the New Year's Eve show there, like they decided to shut down and uh, I was forced to like do these awesome clubs like off the hook and um oh, awesome. snappers is a great club i'm there this weekend and uh um laughing all these clubs are so cool and and uh there's they're not it's not like a hundred percent like normal but it's much better than the covid friendly shows which i love too like i did detroit and they just opened up for the first time but they have 50 minute 50 people restrictions um and uh mass requirements which are good but it's just it's just not this you know you don't get as big a laugh as you used to but um yeah i'm hoping most of the people here i i ask people of the crowd who's had it already and, and i've noticed a lot of i would say like 30 percent of the crowd that's coming to shows has already had it or they've been vaccinated so it's like it's not so much the covid denier so much as like people are like finally out for the first time so you, you got um you, you got some shows coming up in florida right Yep, I'm in. Uh, I'm at Snappers this weekend. Next weekend, I'm at Laughing, and then the following week, I think I'm with Jim Brewer at Off the Hook. Oh, nice! And then I go back to Chicago and Arizona, also another great place for comedy where they don't believe in COVID. And uh, <laughs> and then I'm back here for the month of April. I think I'm in Vero Beach, Margaritaville. It's all on my website, paulfcomedy.com. Come, come and judge me and see how well I dress, guys. <laughs> uh, do you have any other questions for us, Paul? The Magic the Gathering was my only real question. Um, Fair enough. We don't get a lot of questions from our guests, so anything was, was more than what we got. No, that's it. Um, yeah, let me know when this comes up. I will uh, I'll put it up on my site, too. So if you want, you can go ahead and blast all your sites, uh, your Twitter, Instagram, all that. Oh, oh it's... Uh, Paul F. Comedy is my website. Paul Farvar, F-A-R-A-H-V-A-R is my Instagram. Um, my YouTube is Paul F. Comedy as well. Um, YouTube.com backslash Paul F. Comedy. I've got clips or playlists for singles only, make us a mixtape, Sweet Opinions, which is my candy show with Tristan Triptow. We review candy every week. And, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And my stand-up sets. And uh, Everyone's a Lawyer, uh, which is a uh, game show another competitive show that i have um 
which hopefully will be on TV next year. We'll see what happens with the nice studios in Burbank. All right, Paul. Well, we do appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, this is awesome. Actually, not really tonight. It's early for us. We usually record at nine o'clock, but uh, we do oh, appreciate okay. you coming on this afternoon for us. Awesome, uh, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, yeah thanks awesome, a lot. Man. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed talking. You're, you're our first comedian. Yeah, yeah. You're our first comedian. So, what do you normally cool. have? Uh, Master Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> no, no. Actually, we really don't talk about magic. Uh, we try not to. Only we, fans. We pop cultures. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a pretty big OnlyFans content creator on a few weeks ago. Oh, we had nice. A, a uh, director that's done a bunch of stuff, worked with Spielberg. Oh, uh, cool. We just did a animator that's worked on a uh, like a celebrity robot death chicken. match, robot chicken. So we, oh, we yeah. do more pop culture related stuff. Yeah. So comedy okay. is obviously pop culture in our hearts, at least. Yeah. yeah Stand up comedy is the best art form, in my opinion. And I've done yeah. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. really have. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Well, again, we do appreciate you coming on. So awesome, awesome. guys. Thanks for having yeah. me, and uh, yeah, tell me when it goes up, and I'll uh, yeah, yeah, I'll sounds great. People. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Thanks Paul. guys. Be safe. All right. Cheers. Good luck yeah. tonight. Thanks. Yeah, yeah good luck. Break a leg is what you say, guys. Come break, on. Yeah, break, yeah, yeah, break a leg. Sorry. <laughs> this fucking, fucking guy. Yeah, I don't know. Know what about. <laughs> Bunch of asthma bastards. <laughs> Magic flyers at their worst. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be funny if I, at the end I, it was so, and then I get canceled by the asthma community for <laughs> shitting on Josh. Like, oh, I can't breathe. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Bring yeah. it, asthma community. I can breathe. Fuck it. I'll take you guys all down. Actually, my family has asthma, so I shouldn't say that. <laughs> or I could say I have friends who have asthma. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my friend has asthma, so I can make fun of him, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, my best friend has asthma. <laughs> you guys are next on the cancel culture list. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much All for right, having thanks, me. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, guys. All right. Bye. As always, we are the WWSD Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every other podcast streaming service. If you'd like to support us financially, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. You can support us for as little as $3 a month. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have videos at YouTube, and our interviews are hosted at Collector's Maze. Please like, follow, and share. Thank you. Bob Saget was probably like loaded up on fucking coke. Like, yeah, man, you're like the, the funniest guy ever. Like, <laughs> that's, that's how I picture goes to see. He was like blazing drunk. Where it's like Bob Saget's like, just get this guy away from me. He's talking to me way too much. Yeah, dude, just go on stage. You'll be fine. Yeah, leave me the fuck alone. Like, tell, tell him to get on stage. Like, I, I'm trying to do fucking coke and fuck hookers. Like, like yeah, concentrate right now. I need this as part of my creative process. Yeah. Get him the fuck out.